This is a Defocus Media production. Hey everybody, I'm your four-eyed professor, Chris Levens, and I'm super excited to talk to you today. Our roll call is for new and experienced ODs, optometry students, and even those just interested in this profession. We'll cover a number of topics together, and I'll help you see them through a professor's eyes. Please take your seats. School's in session. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Four-Eyed Professor podcast. I'm Chris, and I am delighted to have a special guest with us tonight, Dr. Ann Zaki. Thanks for joining us, Ann. Thanks for the invitation, Chris. Yeah, this should be fun. So we're covering a topic that we haven't touched on yet. Uh, customizing vision with the technological advances that we now have in intraocular lenses that we really haven't always had. So it's, it's, it's something exciting. It's something that we probably need to talk to our patients uh, about earlier than we ever had before and continue to talk about it. So they're primed with this information. But before we dive in, please tell us all about you. Sure. Um, so my name is Ann Zaki. I am a um, ophthalmologist, cornea specialist uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, originally from the East Coast, though, kind of grew up in New York, upstate New York, most of my life, most of my life, and then yeah. went on to the University of Michigan, go blue for undergrad, and then <laughs> med school, Boston for residency, and Baylor for fellowship. Um, and so we've been in Phoenix about 11 years now, and I'm in a private practice, myself and another ophthalmologist, and we have an optometrist with us. Um, and we just kind of, we, my cataract practice is mostly refractive cataract now with all the new options. It's really kind of exciting. Boy, it is. Yeah. Go big blue. I was rooting for Michigan in the college football playoffs. That didn't go so well this past year. Oh, they had a great season up until then. I know. Maybe oh. next year. Yeah. Well, how did so? So you you've been all over the place, um, yeah. from from Texas to Boston, where you grew up in New York. But how did you find yourself in a new place, Arizona? I love the Southwest. Um, first of all, the weather you can't beat that, especially in the winter. Um, but mostly, we moved out here for my husband, um, and then you know I I knew that you know once we kind of landed, um, we would I would be able to kind of find a job, and so uh, joined a bigger group for a while, and knew that mm. that wasn't a thing, and then joined a smaller private practice. So I just I love my practice in that I'm I'm partner there, and. Um, can really do things tailored to the way I want to practice medicine and, and, and to help my patients. So it's been great. So what is your, so tomorrow or, or today when you're in the office, you're not in the OR, what, what is your typical, what does your average patient look like? So I get a, we, you know, I practice in an area called Sun City and Sun City West. So these are planned retirement communities. Mm-hmm. Really interesting because, um, you know, we've got a lot, the majority of my patients are transplants from the Midwest, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm kind of migrating to great weather, but they're also very active. So my average or my typical patient looks like an active retiree who either wants to maintain good eye, you know, eye health or can no longer see the golf ball and they want, you know, they want it fixed. Yeah. So uh, my in-laws were, had retired for a while from the upper Midwest, from Minnesota to get out of the snow to Mesa, Arizona. And so I'm, I'm definitely fluent in the, in, and they're immense communities. And so your patient volume has got to be huge. Um, yes. and, and I understand the demand because you don't move to Arizona to not spend time outdoors. Uh, you, you, these are people who are on the go and doing things. 
And, and so vision certainly tails along with that nicely. So let's start off by the first thing that jumps to my mind when it comes to even remotely the topic of a premium IOL is how do I describe, how does any of you, how do you just, how do you describe or how do any of us describe to a patient what the potential vision is going to be like or an outcome? Uh, given that, like in, in, in my realm, if I'm fitting a contact lens, I can just put it on and say, hey, tell me what you think and they'll respond. But with an IOL, got to be darn sure about it because rarely we're ever going to explant it. Yeah. So, you know, we have so many options now and, and you nailed it because the, the majority of the people that I work with are incredibly active, right? So it's changed the way we think about our certain, at least the way I think about my surgical approach to my patient, because now the conversation is, tell me how you use your eyes and how you want to use your eyes, right? Because everybody has different visual needs. And so that's where I have the conversation where, you know, somebody's hobbies, you know, may really come into play. Um, and we factor that in. Um, so the way that we do things in my office is that when somebody comes in for a consultation for cataract, I'll see them, you know, make sure eye health is good, uh, make sure I'm not having to deal with rehabbing the ocular surface and all of that. And then once they decide they want surgery, and once we decide that the cataract is significant enough to operate on, then they get measured. And then I see them again, one more time. So after the measurement, I'm seeing mm. And I like seeing them twice because first, it helps me get to know the patient a little bit more. And secondly, once I have the measurements in front of me, then I can look at the measurements, have the conversation with the patient, and we come up with the plan together. It isn't me saying, look, this is how you're going to see. This is what to expect. I'll see you in the OR. It's really right. how you want to use your eyes. What do you, what are your hobbies? What do you want to, what do you want to achieve with this cataract surgery? And then I can look at the measurements to say, well, you know, you really have a lot of astigmatism. So if you really want to see that golf ball in the distance, you may want to consider a toric lens, et cetera. And so then we kind of go down that path. So that way I know exactly what I'm dealing with because I have the measurements in front of me, topography, et cetera. I've examined the patient on more than one occasion. It gives me an opportunity to look at the surface again. So that way, if my measurements don't jive with what I'm seeing, I can kind of rehab that or address that. And then we come up with the plan together. So everybody goes into the OR exactly knowing what they're going to expect and, um, and what their options in terms of what to expect their vision will be out afterwards. So two, two percentage questions. First off, you're in an arid environment. Um, yes. it, you're, you're, you're dealing with people as they get older, which may lead them down the road of dry eye anyway. What ballpark percentage of these patients would you say you do have to do, intervene and do some rehabbing in the ocular surface? Uh, versus, nope, you look pretty good. I'll see you again, and then we'll pick a lens and, and, and go go for surgery. Like eighty five percent. Yeah, I got <laughs> it's, you. It's really high, <laughs> yeah. which is why All I right. like to look twice. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally get it. All right, my next question about percentages is: What percentage would you guess of your patients um, have any inclination that there is anything beyond a monofocal IOL? Do, do they all know coming in, oh, well, I'm going to have something to choose for here, or is this foreign to them? It's very foreign. Yeah, it's very foreign. So, you know, the more you hear something, the more familiar it becomes, right? So um, my texts are excellent at when they're measured to say, oh, you know what, you have some astigmatism. Dr. Zaki may talk to you about this or, you know, and give them maybe a brochure on a toric lens or, hey, you know, if they say, I really want to be spectacle independent, 
um, independent, then they can kind of talk to them about them and give them information about it. I'm obviously the final word because, you know, there, there will be times where maybe my tech has given them a pan, you know, a, a multifocal, you know, uh, pamphlet. And then mm -hmm. the patient sit there and I'll say, well, I'm sorry, you have macular degeneration. You're not really going to be a good candidate for this. So this is off the table or, you know, at least I, I wouldn't recommend it, nor would I really want to do this. Um, so again, they're aware of what's going on in that after they've had that measure at uh, that measurement, they've gotten some information relevant to them. But when we they have the conversation with me, that's really when we kind of solidify and talk about options. But you're right, a lot of them don't know that they're options. Um, and, and it can be overwhelming, right? It's a lot of information. So I always ask them to bring a family member with them mm -hmm. when they come with that visit. So that way you've got more than one set of ears listening to the conversation. So you mentioned astigmatism a couple of times, and yeah. I, I would assume, but maybe incorrectly, that that would be the lowest hanging fruit, given that patients that have moderate, at least moderate astigmatism, tend to know that um, historically, and they've worn glasses for it, they may have worn contacts for it. So telling someone who's ready for cataract surgery, oh, you have astigmatism, I, tip, I, I would assume that you may get a nod, and it may make relevance to them, oh yeah, a torque intraocular lens makes perfect sense. You would think. They might have even worn Torah contact lenses. Somehow they don't make that associate. And you know that. Oh my goodness. Such a terrible word like stigmata, you know? Right. So, um, yeah. So I would think you're, yeah, but I'm often I'm having to have the conversation and explain what it is. And when I counsel my patients, I actually have a model of the eye in my hand. Um, because it's very easy for me to say, oh, your cornea, oh, your lens, oh, your retina, right? But when I can point to the structures and show how they're relative to each other. So what I'll do is actually take the cornea in my hand and say, this is a different problem than the lens, which is here. So then they kind of understand that they're different, but both related to the quality of vision. Gotcha. So I'm visual. So I think it helps to have a visual. Yeah, I could see how that would be helpful. And you mentioned bringing a family member or guest in because, you know, I, I know when I go to any provider, I come home and my wife says, hey, Chris, what, what did he or she say? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I remember one thing. So having someone else in there, especially when you're talking about something serious like this, eyesight's a big deal. Surgery's a big deal. And so they're not as directly invested in it because it's not their eyes and hopefully can be more in tune with actually a mental recording of what was said so they can actually have some important discussions after. after I like that. Really, yeah. All right. So now the other thing that I, that I kind of alluded to before of how do you describe to a patient what they might see with now the more choices that we continue to get each year for multifocal IOLs. And then how do you decide, well, I'm, do, you, do you go by, I'm going to take the menu from industry producer A and use that assortment of lenses, or I'm going to take my favorite from company A and company B and company C. How do you choose which lenses to really be incredibly talented with? And then how do you have these discussions with patients for their expectations on what the deliverable is going to be to them? So um, yeah, to answer your question, 
I definitely take a smattering of lenses. So I don't use any one company's lens because I think okay. that, you know, each company does have some really unique lenses, whereas one company's multifocal might be really better than the other company's multifocal, whereas one company's EDOF or Toric is better than another. Mm -hmm. So I tend to choose, pick and choose the lenses that um, I like and that the ones that are based on data, right? The, the outcomes that look really good. Um, so that's the first thing. So I kind of familiarize myself with most of the lenses out there. Um, and then to reel it back again, the conversation is, well, how do you want to see? So if I have a patient who say, says, hey, I really want to be out of my glasses. I don't want to have to wear reading glasses. Um, but so then I have to ask some more questions. So the first off I have to establish is the eye healthy, right? Because mm -hmm. especially in these multifocal lenses, you have to nail it. You really have to have a pristine system for that eye, that lens to function in the way that it's intended, right? So if there's macular degeneration or an epiretinal membrane or any kind of macular pathology that might create vision that is not optimal, then I don't put that on the table because for a patient to spend thousands of dollars on a lens that they're not going to get the outcome that they're looking for is just not ethical in my mind and just not fair to the patient, right? So first things first, eye health has to be established. So then if the patient says, hey, I really want to be spectacle independent, my next question is, well, have you ever worn contact lenses? Have you done monovision? Because I find that patients who really have done monovision and have been successful with it do really well with it also, mm -hmm. you know, surgically, right? Um, so then if that's the case, naturally, if there's any kind of astigmatism, I want to address that. And I always like to do the distance eye first. So that way, if I can nail it and get their distance vision great, then I'm fine to then make their non-dominant eye a reading eye, right? But then if that's not the case and they really want to go to a multifocal, I ask some more questions. And I'll, this is my spiel every time. It's a great lens. It's not a perfect lens. It's not going to give you the vision you had when you were 10 years old, right? So here are the downsides of the lens. And if you can live with the downsides, then it's the lens for you. Okay, so I give them the cons first, right? Because I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. So the first thing I'll tell them is, you know, do you do a lot of night driving, right? Are you a pilot? So pilots, truck drivers, people that really spend a lot of time driving at night. I also don't really recommend the lens because there is halo and glare with these lenses. Sure. Um, and the majority of my patient will describe these halos as a nuisance and not a problem, but they're still halos, right? So if that's okay, then the next step. Okay, so the next downside to the lens is that you lose some contrast sensitivity. So again, part of the reason why I won't put it in macular patients, um, but, you know, and, and have to tell them, look, you really need a lot of light for these lenses. You know, if you're in a dimly lit restaurant under candlelight, it's very hard to see. So you do have to make sure you're always reading under good light. And then I tell them what my experience has been is, you know, they'll, they get a fabulous distance vision, but it's still not perfect distance vision. So if they want the best distance that they can get, there's sometimes a little bit lacking in some of these multifocal um, lenses where I feel like the distance is just not quite as good as the quality of a monofocal. So I'll tell them if you're okay with that, having really good distance vision, but not perfect distance vision, then again, this is a good lens for you. Because again, you're trading off a little bit of the quality for the convenience, which is what I tell my mono, mono vision patients as well. You know, right. It's not perfect vision all the time. It's great vision most of the time. <laughs> That's a phrase I always yeah. say. 
So um, I think it's just a matter of setting that expectation, right? Because if I sit there and say, hey, this is the best lens out there. You're going to see like you were when you were 10. Everything's going to be perfect. You're going to see so well. Then naturally, I think the expectation then is so high that oftentimes right. it's unbelievable, right? So it is a manage of, it is a set of, a, a function of managing those expectations. And if they're good with those downsides and the cost, then, you know, as long as everything else is good with the eye, I'm usually pretty good with it. I do look at topographies. Um, naturally, if there's anything abnormal on the cornea or super high, a lot of higher order aberrations, a lot of coma, things like that, then usually I'll kind of steer away from those. So I do look at some of the clinical side as well after I've had that conversation. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty picky about who I put these lenses in. Yeah, that's really <laughs> smart. So if, if, if we bifurcate for a moment, the two most basic categories of multifocal IOLs. We have, we have the one set, which really does truly give you multiple viewing distances by actually altering the optics. And then we have a whole other category of extended depth of focus IOLs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if I'm your patient, I'm going to add 10 years to my life and I have a lenticular changes. So I'm already not seeing great. So yeah. it's not like you're doing a clear lens exchange on me and you're going to make me worse tomorrow. There's probably, pretty good chance you're going to make me better so long as my expectations aren't off the charts. How would you interview me um, if I am really interested in a multifocal IOL because maybe my wife just had one and my friends all have them. Um, and, to, and I have healthy eyes. I don't have crazy weird corneas. How do you decide which camp to put me in? And again, it depends on activities. So if you're constantly doing things kind of within arm's length, right, or you want, you have more near um, demands, then a multifocal would probably be better. But if you're somebody who's like sitting at a computer screen or, mm -hmm. you know, or another thing is I look at body habitus too, because if you're six foot tall and your arm mm. span is really long, right, you can hold things further. Um, without again getting some of the aberrations that you see or the you know the the visual disturbances you can with the multifocal. So I, I do base it kind of on activity, if you will, um, depending on what again the visual demands are. I do think um, multifocals are safer. Oh, I think you 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 froze. I got you. You're you're, okay. you're back now. We both we we both froze. Well, for us, okay. So I don't know what but you got only, there. It was only for about five seconds. So just okay. continue your, your, your training. Okay. So again, um, just really depending on what the physical demands are, um, yeah. or the, the, the visual, sorry, the visual demands. Um, you know, if I have somebody who says, you know, I'm mostly on my computer, I'm mostly intermediate in distance, um, then, or, you know, there's any kind of anything off in just the measurements or the calcs or something, then mm -hmm. I think EOF lenses tend to be a little bit more forgiving than multifocals. Do you find the claim is accurate that they might produce less halos at night and, and better vision at night, more similar to a monofocal lens? So it depends on the EDOF. Um, ah. so there's two different, you know, there's two major companies. One company really doesn't have much halo and glares where the other company's um, extended depth of focus um, lens does have, um, does have, a, you know, some glare and halos. Um, what's really interesting is there's an, J&J um, &J has a, a vision, a, a lens called um, the um, iHands lens, which is a mm -hmm. model a lens that has some extended depth of focus characteristics to it, which is really kind of neat because it's a, a monofocal lens, so it can go in any 
but you have a little bit of a range of, you know, extended depth of focus. And I love that lens. That's kind of my monofocal um, because it gives you that extended depth of focus, you know, not quite the range as, you know, the others, but it does give you some depth of focus though. So it's really nice because again, being a monofocal lens, you can really put it in just about anyone. All right, so, he, so here's the other thing that always comes to my mind when I think of myself as a patient, kind of like I just did. Um, so I have some cataracts. They're not horrible. I'm getting by. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested in, in everything we've talked about. I'm all in for a premium IOL, but you told me that there's something coming in three months or nine months or next year. And then we meet and, oh, there's something else coming in three months or nine months or next year. And I, I can't decide when to pull the trigger because I want the best. And I don't want to learn that something came out the day after I had my surgery that could be better. How, how do I decide? How do you help me decide? You know what? It's not, it, it's something better, but it's not grossly better. So I think you're okay making a decision today. What do you do? Yeah. So I base it just based on how much visual difficulty you're having. You know, if you're at the point now where you can see most things and your vision's really fine, it's not holding you back from doing anything you love, then wait. You know, wait until the time comes where your vision really is problematic and that's when you can now fix it and whatever the options are at the time are going to be worth it to you. You know, I really, I, you know, as much as I love doing surgery, I don't like doing surgery on 2020 eyes. I don't like doing surgery on people who see well. And that's just, you know, I think, you know, um, my just philosophy, I don't do a lot of refractive lens exchanges because I just don't have that kind of a refractive practice. So I always tell my patients, look, you'll know when you're bothered enough by your vision to want to correct it. And when that time comes, there will be a lot of technology to support, you know, your decision once you decide you want surgery. Yeah. I, I'm a believer in this technology. Um, it's probably why you and I get along so well. And that I tell every one of my patients who, who I'm recommending for cataract surgery, regardless of uh, their demographic, what they look like, what I am, my opinion of what their financial situation is, I still tell them, hey, you're going to have some really important discussions about which lens is going to best suit you. So make sure you pay attention because this is a really big deal with your eyes. I, so I don't spend an inordinate amount of time, but I try to plant the seed with everybody because I wouldn't, I would never want to be the patient who just went for monofocal IOLs because nobody told me there was something else out there. And I'm afraid that does happen to some patients. It does. And, you know, and I'll tell them, look, my job as your surgeon is to strictly say this, these are your eyes. This is how you want to see. And these are your options. What you choose after that is entirely up to you. But I have to do my due diligence to make sure you know what all of your options are so you can make an educated decision. The rest is up to you. I'll do whatever you want me to do, you know, within reason, of course. (laughs) Is a large percentage of your pay satisfied in, in whatever you and they come up with as a plan? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think I, you know, I've been operating for 20 plus years. And so, you know, you learn early in your career mistakes to never make again. Right. And so it's, it's having made some of those mistakes that have, I think, molded me into the surgeon I am, you know, I'll never forget my, it was like my first or second year in practice. And, um, you know, I took this really high myope and, you know, thought I was doing a bang up job and she had 20, 20 uncorrected distance and she was miserable because her whole world was up close and now she has to wear glasses for the things she never had to wear glasses for. And here I thought I was doing her a huge favor by, you know, by, 
after that mistake, you better believe I asked patients, do you want to see up close or far away? And then have to explain to them because a lot of them just don't understand. Hey, wait, what do you mean? I'm having cataract surgery. I still have to wear glasses, right? So that conversation <laughs> right. comes up all the time. But it's like, yeah, you know, if you're going to go with the monofocal lens and you're not, you haven't done or you're not going to do monovision, then you have to make a choice. Do you want far or near? So you make, you know, I made that mistake once and I never made it again, but I had to make that mistake to really have, to wake me up to hear the patient, right? To hear what their visual needs are for what they want for surgery. Your story had reminded me of a story my boss told me one time, a former boss from years ago. He used to practice at a VA in the, in the central U.S., I think in Indiana. And one of his residents was having trouble refracting an, a, a, an established patient. Um, and so much so that he came out and asked for help. He said, I can't figure this out. I, I'm giving the patient exactly the correct refract, refraction and they keep complaining about the glasses. And when I look at their old glasses, they have some decent amount of astigmatism and the cylinder in the glasses is 90 degrees off. And every time I put it, they're like, oh yeah, that's what I want. I'm like, why the heck they want that? You see like 2050 versus 2020. And so my boss said, he said he went, he went in and confirmed everything the resident said. And he said, all right, well, I'm going to give you the glasses prescription that you want. And the resident left the room with him. He said, I don't understand. You, you just made the patient 2050. He's like, well, let me tell you something. Patients have a right to see the way they want to see. It doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> they have a right to their own vision. 20 over happy. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, before we depart this topic, um, is there anything else that you'd like to put some messaging out to those listening that they need to be thinking of when talking to patients or seeds that they should be planning or things that they should be on the lookout for to really help human beings as they enter the age for cataract distraction really end up with the best possible outcomes? Sure. So I think first and foremost is just establishing the eye health, right? Just making sure that everything's looked at. Um, again, you know, and I and I I tell you, I and I say this, I stress this because I get so many patients come to me as a second opinion because they've had cataract surgery, they're not getting the outcome they want, they can't understand why they're not seeing, and they think mm -hmm. they're their surgery was a, a catastrophe when the reality is nobody ever told them they had bad macular degeneration, right? Oh. So they have this surgery thinking it's going to fix everything and they're going to see beautifully only right. to be disappointed afterwards. So I think first and foremost is just making sure that the eye is a system that we're addressing the system. So patients know going in what to expect. In terms of the technology, it really is just a matter of listen to your patients. Let your patients tell you how they use their eyes, how they want to use their eyes. And based on that, once you're familiar with the technology and you can, you know, be pretty astute at looking at measurements and, you know, you really, I think, you know, oftentimes can be really successful in tailoring the vision to the patient and what their needs are. Yeah, that's really sage advice. And it's something that we can all do a better job with. Thank you again for taking part in this uh, real, really important conversation that I think is something that we can all do a little bit different and a little bit better tomorrow. Thanks, Ann. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Class is ended for today and we have no exams or grades approaching. Please email me at foureyedprofessor at gmail.com if there are topics that you would like to hear and see through a professor's eyes.